Good morning, Mount Hope. Thank you so much for allowing me to be with you this morning. And I hope that as you are participating in thinking about and praying about and experiencing missions at this time of the year, that God just does some wonderful things in your church community. So to get started this morning, I just want to ask us one question. Have you ever thought about a church or a work colleague or maybe a parent at your kid's soccer game or maybe even an old friend? And have you ever been thinking about them and thinking about faith? and thought to yourself, that person would never become a Christian. Now, I think that that's pretty honest thought that sometimes some of us have, and I think it has a few subplots. So one of the subplots is that we think that somebody could never become a Christian because we assume that they have no needs. And so we don't think that they have any practical reason to come to God. They seem so self-sufficient, so capable, so assured. But one of the other subplots is that we start to think that they maybe have habits or a way of life that they don't want to give up. So it's maybe destructive and it's not good for them, but at the same time, they don't want to kind of break up with that way of life. And so we think to ourselves, well, that person would never become a Christian for that reason. But the third thing that I think we sometimes do is we assume that this person has already made up their mind completely about religion and about faith and about God. And we even assume that they'd probably be aggressive if we started to have the, the conversation with them about faith. And so we start to think to ourselves, that person would never become a Christian. Well, the good news this morning is that we have so many examples, dozens upon dozens of examples throughout scripture that show us that that's not true, that there are very, very different people who have put their faith and their hope in Jesus and made Jesus the ultimate source of their life and sometimes very unexpected people. And what we're going to see this morning is that not only is that possible, but Jesus gives us a very practical way to take personal responsibility so that we can begin to share the gospel no matter where we go and no matter what we do. And so to look at that this morning, I want to go to the book of Acts in the first chapter, and we're going to just define what Jesus is saying here when it comes to our personal responsibility and partnering with him and missions. But then we're going to look at it real practically and see how we can work with him to see some of that accomplished. So let's read that verse together. We're going to Acts 1, and we're going to be reading verses 6 through 8. It says, So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the time or the season that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So Jesus says this right after his crucifixion and resurrection and before he ascends into heaven. So this is the very last command that the disciples received from him. And I want to go through these four areas that Jesus defined and give you a little bit more cultural background into what these different places were and what they represented. So let's start with Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the capital city. It was the city that King David had established. It was really the cultural and spiritual center for the people of God. I mean, David's son, Solomon, was the one who built the temple there. And even after the people of God were sent into exile into Babylon, um, Ezra and Nehemiah come back and they rebuild the temple. And so this capital city where they worshiped had huge cultural significance to the people of God. But we go then from Jerusalem into Judea. Now, Judea was a region and King Solomon had a son named Rehoboam. 
King Solomon, who built the temple, had a son named Rehoboam, and Rehoboam's poor leadership led to a civil war. And as a result of that civil war, the nation was actually split into two, a northern and a southern kingdom. And so Judea is the name that represents that southern kingdom, and Jerusalem was its capital. But then we get into Samaria. Now, Samaria was the northern region after that civil war. Now, Samaria was unique in the eyes of the Israelites because Samaria and therefore Samaritans were seen as people who had kind of separated themselves from the people of God. And so when people in Jerusalem and Judea looked at the Samaritans, they considered some of their practices subpar, and they actually even considered them ethnically subpar because they weren't from the center, the epicenter of where God's people had been in Jerusalem. And they also began to recognize and notice and even criticize the Samaritans for being synchronistic in the way that they practiced their faith. So Samaria was that northern, um, excuse me, the northern capital and Israel was the name of that northern region. So finally, the ends of the earth. Now, this is interesting because that, well, it's interesting that Jesus would even bring this up because Jesus himself never traveled outside of a 30 mile radius of where he lived. And yet here he is right before he ascends saying to the people around him, the disciples, I want you to go to the ends of the earth. So. This is a basic textbook understanding of the different ways that Jesus talked about going into different regions and kind of what they represented in time. But we need to go back through those four regions one more time. And this time what I want you to see is that when Jesus brought these specific places up, he wasn't doing it just to kind of throw names around or throw regions around. He was trying to address the attitudes of the people and kind of provoke them to thinking about who they thought the gospel was really for. Basically answering that question, can anyone become a Christian? Or are there certain limits on some people? So let's go to Jerusalem. Well, actually, let's combine Jerusalem and Judea. Because when the disciples then were hearing that they should go into Jerusalem and Judea, this was actually very good news. Because this meant that they were gonna go and give the gospel to people they liked. This was their own community. They were like these people culturally. They'd grown up with them. So basically what Jesus is saying is if you are in a thriving, agape, self-giving community that you love and adore, that you can keep being part of that. And I want you to thrive there. But if we were to pull that through history and see how it applies to us as Jesus wants it to, to come through history, what we realize is that we get to hear the same great news. It means that if you're part of a church that you love, and if you're part of Bible studies within that community, and if you've been doing service together, and if your kids are growing up together, and you're having all of this history together, and you're loving it, and you're loving spending time with each other, then Jesus is saying to you, keep committing to that community. Don't give up. You know, stay with it and keep on serving one another because it's really important and I want you to have the joy from it and I want you to love it. So we go from Jerusalem and Judea and then we go to Samaria, the capital of the Northern region, like I was saying. Now, what did that mean for the disciples then? Well, this would have been harder to hear because this would have been a group of people that the disciples knew, but they did not like. And so basically what Jesus is provoking them to think about is whether or not they were willing to bring the gospel to people that they had prejudice against, who they maybe thought wouldn't accept the gospel because of one of the reasons we mentioned earlier, whether they didn't want to change their life or they seemed too self-sufficient or they were aggressive to Christianity. 
or because the people in Jerusalem and Judea didn't think that they deserved it. You know, they shouldn't have this, this gospel because they're different from us. And so what does it mean for us now when we pull it through history? Well, it means the same thing. It means that Jesus is saying, I want you to take the gospel to groups of people that you may not even like, that you may not even realize that you harbor prejudice against. Not, not only because I want you to take the gospel to everyone, but I want the gospel by your action of communicating it and taking it to other reasons. I want it to change your own heart. I want you to deal with your own prejudices and lay those down and be different. But then finally, Jesus says, I want you to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Now, what's interesting about this is that for the disciples then, these were people that they didn't have an opinion about either way because the ends of the earth was kind of this void space. They, they didn't have any knowledge of what those people were like. And basically what Jesus is saying is, I want you to take the gospel to places not only that you know, don't know, but places you don't even think about. They're not even on your radar. They don't come up in your life. And what's interesting is that within a hundred years after Jesus dies, is resurrected and ascends into heaven, this happens. This happens within the discipleship community that was right there, that they bring the gospel all throughout Asia Minor to Northern Africa to Southern Europe. They are able to take the gospel to what they understood as being the ends of the earth during that time. So, so what is the point? Well, when Jesus says to us, I want you to take the gospel from Jerusalem all the way to the ends of the earth, what he's showing us is that Jesus never thinks to himself, that person would never become a Christian. He really believes the gospel is for everyone. And what that says to us is that we realize once again that the gospel is not about what we have done to get God, but about what God has done to get us. And if that's what the gospel is all about, what God has done to get, uh, give, get us, then it means that we have the special opportunity and responsibility to then give back to God by not just serving the people within our circles that we think about the most, that we love the most, that we care about the most, but that we go out into the world and we let sharing the gospel change our hearts, change the way we think about the rest of the world and change, change genuinely how people get the opportunity to hear what God is like. So if that gives us more clarity about what Jesus is asking of us in the way we understand it and the way it changes our attitudes, then what's some practical ways we can act upon it? And today I want to just share with you four things that we talk about a lot in Chi Alpha because they apply not just to our students, but they apply to anyone living a disciple anywhere. And so the four things that we challenge our students with when we're talking about mission specifically is that they should go, give, pray, and welcome. And so just like there are four regions, the way you can remember this is that there's four practical applications. So let me just give you a few details about what these four things mean. So go. So when we're talking to students, but when, we're, when I'm talking to anyone anywhere, what's encouraging to know is that, and exciting to know is that God wants us to physically participate in going either to the other side of the state or to the ends of the earth to share the gospel. And not only because he'll do great things through us when we get there, but like I said, because he wants to change the attitude of our hearts and how we live when we come back home. You know, I was only 13 years old when I went on my first mission trip. And I think that kids and youth group members, anybody can start going on a, a mission trip. It doesn't matter how young, how young you are. 
Um, but I remember that trip very distinctively because it was the first time I ever prayed with somebody to become a Christian. It was the first time that I had gotten out of my hometown and my eyes were open to the world. But it didn't just inspire me and it didn't just put kind of a, a moment in my journal of look, look how amazing that trip was. But it changed the way that I lived back home. It gave me new fresh eyes for what God could do with me in my hometown after I had seen what he could do with me after we got out of where I lived. So go. Um, the second thing is I think we need to commit in a new way to how we give. I have a campus pastor friend, uh, a Kayafa friend, who has a great illustration for this. He says that when we think about giving, we should think about it in this way. He said, imagine that there are two people and one of them is being lowered down by a rope into a big pit and they're being lowered into that pit like they're sitting in, by the rope and they're sitting in a bucket. So if you, it's kind of a unique illustration where you're watching this person being lowered down into a pit in a bucket by a rope. But he said, um, that person being lowered down, that's the person who's, being, who's willing to go outside of their Jerusalem and their Judea. They have felt the call of God, the challenge of God to go. And even for some of you, you know, I really felt as I was preparing this this morning that some of you are going to hear this week, maybe even today, that God is not just calling you to go on a short-term mission trip, but he's asking you to consider a life of missions, maybe outside of your hometown. And this would be like you being lowered down in that bucket, going outside of your Jerusalem and Judea. And it's a dark pit, not necessarily because it's dangerous, although it can be, but because it's unknown. It's something that you've never seen. It's someplace you've never been. It's a group of people you don't yet know. But the only way that you are able to be there is if there's that second person holding the rope at the top. And my friend says that we have to understand that the person holding the rope, that's the person who is providing the financial support. They are supporting that person as they're going off to do their missions. So all of us are called to give, but some of us are called to give even beyond our means. And that is the way that we practically get involved in going beyond our Jerusalem and Judea to reach the ends of the earth. So we all go, sometimes in small ways, sometimes in big ways. We all give in the same way, but we all need to pray. You know, we've been telling our students over and over again at Yale about a Yale student who was here on campus over a hundred years ago. His name was William Borden. And when William Borden got to campus, he was a Christian, but he got to campus and he discovered that Yale was not, um, certainly not a Christian place and he didn't have a lot of Christian friends and it immediately broke his heart. It really influenced his life even in his first year at college. And so his reaction was not necessarily to you know, get on the street corner and start, you know, screaming verses at people or even necessarily to start a Bible study. In fact, what William Borden did was he got a list of all the names of the students on campus and he wrote some of them on note cards and he began to just pray for those students over and over again. And then as his other Christian friends noticed that he was praying, they wanted to participate. So they got note cards and names and they all just started to pray. And that was their primary initial strategy for beginning to see what God could do on their campus. Well, by the time that William Borden graduated on a campus of 3,000, 1,500 of them were weekly in Bible studies. In fact, there's a main cafeteria on our campus and it's this huge grand um, room. And the story goes that they would uh, change the tables after a meal and use that entire space to have their Bible studies. It was incredible what William Borden did in his life. 
You know, it may seem unbelievable, but I think any of us can change the world from our living room just if we commit to pray because prayer is consequential. And the things that we pray in secret, God then brings into fruitfulness in our lives and around the world. So go, give, pray, and then the fourth thing, like I said, is welcome. You know, this is really the bread and butter of what it means to be a Christian, is that it's opening our doors and welcoming people into our lives. And I find it interesting that even in the first hundred years after Jesus ascended, we see the disciples living out this principle of welcoming in just radical ways. And often they were welcoming people into their homes. They were including them around the dinner table. But then at other times they were chasing people down to, to bring them into hospitality wherever they were. You know, you read about Philip chasing down the African um, government official as he rode in his carriage and starting a conversation with him. You read about Paul and Luke and Silas going into the city of Philippi and they reach Lydia, who is a very wealthy, prominent woman, uh, a businesswoman, as well as a slave girl and a jailer who would have been like a blue collar worker. I mean, very different people. All of these disciples were welcoming people all across Asia, Af Asia Minor, Af Northern Africa, Southern Europe. It was incredible their reach because of this attitude of being welcoming. And when we do the simple act of just opening our front door and letting people share our lives with us, it's one of the first simple steps we can take to really reaching not just our Jerusalem, but like I said, our Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. So I hope you're seeing this morning is that God gives us clarity about what the gospel is, that the gospel is not about what we have done to get God, but what God has done to get us. And then Jesus showed us what those different places are like. And he gives us a clarity about even our internal attitudes and how we can change our attitudes to reach those places. But then there's these practical steps that we can start implementing to go, to give, to pray, and to welcome in order to see God's mission truly, truly reach the ends of the earth. You know, over 20 years ago, um, I was on a college campus for the first time. I had grown up a Christian. I had grown up in church. I had really good experiences growing up in church. And by the time I got to campus, I was on a secular university. I wanted to be part of a campus ministry. And thankfully, my campus had a Chi Alpha. And so I visited that Chi Alpha meeting and after it was over, I was going back out to my car and just tried to, trying to be independent, too nervous to speak to anybody. And there was a young woman who literally chased me down after that meeting happened. She was a member of Chi Alpha. She was actually a leader. And because she chased me down, um, I ended up getting involved in Chi Alpha and really the rest is history. I discovered that this group of students that I was getting to know were radically different from the friends that I was hanging out with, and they truly believed that Jesus was real. And for that young woman who chased me down, who ended up becoming my Bible study leader, who ended up going on mission trips with me, and now today even prays and supports our own ministry. You know, it's incredible that for her, reaching um, Jerusalem, Judea, was just about running out of a meeting and making sure I got an introduction and hello. But it was so powerful in my life that over 20 years later, I'm still talking about it. You know, I hope that as we think about missions, missions is an incredible conversation and it has far-reaching, eternal, amazing implications. But let's not forget that it starts with something very simple and it starts with intentionality and doing first things that make a world of difference. So Mount Hope, let's go back to our first question. 
Can the person that you work with, can your old school friend, can that parent at the soccer meet, at the soccer match on a Saturday, would they ever become a Christian? And the answer is yes, because the gospel is for everyone. Let's pray. Lord, this morning, I thank you so much for this church community. I thank you for the way that they have sacrificed and sowed into your community there in, the, in their cities, in their towns, in their church. Lord, I thank you for the things that you've done in their families' lives and them, in their personally, individually. Um, even in the last year, the challenges they've faced and how faithful you've been. And even in these moments as we're praying, Lord, I pray that you would remind them of ways that you were faithful to them that you didn't forget them, that you were always with them. And Lord, we just thank you this morning that you're near to us, that we are never out of your presence. And so Lord, I pray that that your generous life would be our motivation to live generously. Lord, I pray as we think about missions, we would think about how we can go and give and pray and welcome. Give us practical first steps to being part of what you do to not just you know, really push in and give more and more to our church community, but to think about how it impacts then the ends of the earth. And Lord, we pray all these things in your name. Amen.